We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So Ryan, let's dive into the mailbag. We don't have a lot of questions today. So if you guys want to have a mailbag that's longer than five minutes, uh, get some questions in right now and we'll get those we'll get those to you. But we do have a few questions here. Uh, the first one is from Beef Eater. He says, uh, Brian and Ryan, I'm actually let you address this one because I, I think I spoke on this a little bit. But uh, I want to get your thoughts on this because I've I've answered it, but I, I don't know if you've answered it uh, at this yeah. point yet. But he says, Brian, do you think that uh, Maris Lufau is a little tentative after his injury? I don't know if tentative is the right word, Toe Jam. Like, I would say this, right? Linebacker, I think people underrate just how cerebral of a position playing linebacker is, right? Like, I always talk so much about eye discipline and trigger and understanding what's come. Like, there is a instinctive nature to playing the linebacker position. So, honestly, I think just missing out on the full year last year, I think it just cost – Maris, a lot of reps, you know, like we saw a kid in 2020 that didn't play with great vision. He was just kind of running around with his hair on fire, which was awesome because he's six, two and some change, 235 pounds with good length and athleticism. But I think right now, man, he's just not seeing the game clearly. I don't think that because I've seen plays where when he sees it and he trusts it, he runs to it. I'm like, the dude's moving, man. Like he's not like, it's not like a deficiency from an athleticism perspective, I just really think that the whole year off has hurt him as far as just being getting live reps, seeing those live bullets and seeing the game at a clearer level. Like it, there's just, and I also don't think that it's helped help. I don't think it's helped him at all that the other linebackers around him haven't been playing very well either. So like, there's not like a, I don't call it collaborative, but you're like, there's no feel working off of one another right now. It's been very sporadic in that regard. So I just think it's a inconsistency level from a eye discipline perspective. I don't think he's trusting what he sees. And I just, I, I don't think that he's being proactive with his approach to the game. I still think he's a good athlete. I still think he has a lot of good traits that I would love to work with. But right now I just don't think Maris Loyfow is seeing the game very well. And I think that's compounded by the fact that they are putting so much on the linebackers. Yes. It's a bad combination. It's a really bad combination. I mean, he is a significantly worse player than he was in 2020. Significantly yep. worse. Mm-hmm. That's not a talent problem. You know, maybe injury is a, is cost him a little bit of a, a touch of speed, maybe, 
but the injury is not why he's playing the way that he's playing. I think he's yes. tentative because, like you said, Ryan, it's up he's, here. He's not He's not a step slow. He's completely out of position because he's reading it like poorly. Like that's where it's like the biggest indicator for me, yeah. right? If he was – if he read a play perfectly and he's working at the perimeter, you're just like he just doesn't have quite enough juice to make a play, that's completely different than it being a B-gap – B gap run backside and you're in the B gap on the front side. Like it's just, that's the different levels. Like he's just not seeing the game right now. Yeah. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you love drinking coffee every morning, you have to check out Trade Coffee. Trade makes it super easy to get the best coffee delivered fresh from the finest local roasters around the country. Trade Coffee is a coffee subscription service that makes it so simple for you to discover new coffees and make your best cup of coffee at home every day. No fancy equipment required. Trade partners with the nation's top-rated independent roasters to send you coffee that they know you'll love, fresh to your home and on your preferred schedule. And you get to support small local businesses, which is a win-win. Whether you already know what you like or are new to specialty coffee and need some help, Trade makes it easy and convenient to discover new coffees. They'll send you ground coffee or whole beans for however you make coffee at home. My wife likes a dark roast with full flavor, and every brand we've tried has lived up to the billing. Whether it's the Big City Blend from Joe's Coffee, the Black Velvet from Atomic Coffee Roasters, or the Holmes Blend from Sparrow's. Every cup has not only had a pleasing aroma while brewing, but also a rich, full taste. So whether you're just getting started or a coffee aficionado looking to discover something new, Trade guarantees you'll love your first bag or they'll send you a new one for free. Upgrade your coffee today with Trade Coffee and let them take the guesswork out of finding your perfect cup. Right now, Trade is offering our listeners a total of $30 off your subscription, plus free shipping at drinktrade.com irish. That's drinktrade.com slash Irish for $30 off your subscription to the best coffees in the country. That's drinktrade.com slash Irish. Next question is from Ian Johnston. Ian says, whose O-line is better, Notre Dame 2021 or Stanford this year? I'll say this, because Ryan looks like you're thinking about it. I'll say this. I think Stanford's offensive line this year is better better through five games than what Notre Dame's offensive line last year was better through five games. That's fair. Uh, That's fair. Notre Dame's offensive line played much better down the stretch. 
and Stanford's not close to that. I will also say this. I think Stanford's just God-given ability of their offensive line through five games in the season is definitely better than last year's Notre Dame offensive line of who they had on the field. Because remember, you had Blake Fisher was hurt, mm-hmm. right? Joe Walt was injured, and, you know, the rest of the guys were just really struggling. They had Kane Madden on the field. It was a, it was a rough start to the year. But I would say Stanford by uh, this much. And I would say mm-hmm. Stanford at least has a couple good run-blocking games under their belt. And I think their success in the run game would be even better if EJ Smith wasn't hurt. Not a lot better, but better. Yes. Where Notre Dame was abysmal running the football. I mean, even in the games where the offense played well, like Florida State, Notre Dame still can run the football. Mm-hmm. They they only scored points because Jack Cohn was just shredding people in yeah. that game. If yeah, I mean to your point, Brian, especially early on in the season last year, if Walter Rouse and Miles Hinton are both healthy and John Hornerbrook's playing, I would probably take that unit over the early version. If you're giving me the version of the last game of the season where Fisher and Alt are both playing, then I would defer to Notre Dame in that instance. But yeah, I still, I still wouldn't because that team could not run the football. Like they, they run I mean, they, they could not run at, I mean, what Stanford has done the last three games rushing the football is still better than what Notre Dame did in the, in the orange, in the bowl game last year. Now, again, quality the competition was pretty good. I I get that. Sure. But like they couldn't do little things. I mean, 42 yards on 21 carries. I mean, that's just, you know, now what that unit was better at was pass pro, yeah. right? That was a very good pass pro team. They also mm-hmm. had a month to prepare for that game. Sure. Or Stanford doesn't have a month to prepare for USC and Washington and Oregon and, and that. So, I mean, I, I, I don't necessarily say you're wrong, Ryan. I mean, I think it's a mm-hmm. valid point. I just personally, I think, I think Stanford also just flat out gets beat sometimes because their technique stinks. They don't have just a blown yeah. assignments like Notre Dame had a lot of last year. So, again, if I'm taking the Notre Dame offensive line down the stretch, it's definitely better than what this unit has been so far. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think they're poised to have the assert, like kind of emerges that Notre Dame did last year because of the injuries. So yeah. I don't see them having a Notre Dame-type second-half jump. No, it's, it's going it's, it's to get worse. It's not going right. to get better. Yeah, to right. your point. Yeah, uh, agree. And, and you look at their schedule, you got Notre Dame this week. Uh, Stanford next week they have Arizona State. Then they play at UCLA, home against Washington State, at Utah, at Cal, home against BYU. There's a lot of good defenses left on the schedule. Yep. <laughs> a lot of good defenses left on the schedule. It's not, like you said, it's not going to get better. So if we're just looking at a five-game window, I'd probably take Stanford, but Ryan, I mean, you got to think about what the five game window was for Notre Dame last year. It was Florida State, Toledo, Purdue, Wisconsin, Cincinnati. We mm-hmm. were coming off the Cincinnati game where the Notre Dame offensive line just got destroyed. Yep. So that's kind of where my mind is on that. But mm-hmm. by three games later, my, you know, the tune started to change a little bit as the competition got worse. That's a good point. Here's one for you, Ryan, Mr. Linebacker. Uh, David Lowe asks, what is the difference between a Mike and Will? So middle linebacker is to the strong side and will linebacker is to the weak side. Will will linebacker is the weak side inside linebacker. Mike linebacker is to the strong side. So if you're in a four, two, five alignment, for instance, David, if it's strong left and the Mike is going to be the left inside linebacker, the will is going to be the weak inside linebacker. The stylistic differences are that the Mike is usually your bigger player who is more dependent upon the run because he's playing to the front side of the strength. So he's going to be more of a downhill player your will is going to be playing a lot in pursuit. So they're the guys that are usually a little bit more twitchy, a little more athletic, and they need to work and cover a little bit more space than a mic is. But just the easy difference is 
Mike, Mike is to the strong side. Will is to the weak side. There's some responsibility differences as well. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. the, the will will have to play outside the box at times. Yep. And depending on how you play, the will actually can get run at a lot more than, uh, than maybe. Especially with inside zone being such yeah. a big thing now. Yeah. yeah. That's because people run to the boundary a lot more than mm-hmm. they used to, especially in college football. In the NFL, you don't see it as much because it's such a – it's there's. I mean, with the way the hash marks are, Ryan, there really isn't a boundary when it right. comes to the run game. still is one in the pass game. I mean, there's still a short set, but it doesn't really impact the run game as much. And college football teams still tend to be a little bit more boundary-oriented with the run game. And then, as you mm-hmm. said, some of the field stuff that they'll do with inside zone is meant to cut back, even yes. outside zone is meant to cut back where the will's got to be a major player to that, which is people say, you know, why is the will position nowadays the one that and It used to be your Mike linebacker led your team in tackles. Mm-hmm. You're not seeing that nearly as much anymore. And a lot of that is yeah. because of what we just talked about, but also the will has so much more pass game responsibilities that yeah. add to that production as well. So it's a the will, the will's Yeah. The will's also, I mean, in some, in a lot of instances, when we're talking about the the RPO game and stuff, that's the guy that they're going to try to prove wrong, right? Is the will linebacker or the Sam linebacker, depending on how you're reading that guy. So, I mean, yeah, will, will has turned into the playmaking position at linebacker. Like that's the the position that will make tackles for loss in pursuit. We'll play a little bit in pass coverage. We'll play stuff in space. Like that's, that's our, that's why the Mike position has been devalued a little bit, right? Just mm-hmm. a little bit at the next level. Like it's just not the playmaking position that it once was. And that's also why to this conversation, right, Brian, the Sam linebacker on the NFL level is almost becoming extinct. Like yes. it is, it, no one talks about that, but every team now, I think there was one team last year that played base defense more than 50% of the time. The, the, Nickel has now become base. Like that is what's happening. So what you're doing is you're taking a Sam off the field. You're putting a nickel in there. So the Sam linebacker is becoming a very small part of a defense now. So that's why you're seeing a lot of Sam linebackers like trying to transition to defensive ends at the next level and be a pass rusher is because your value is just less than it ever has been. Like you want to be a Will, Mike, Sam's are just almost becoming an obsolete position at this point. Absolutely. Well, here we go. Sorry, I'll get to this one from Beef Eater. Brian and Ryan, would you say David Shaw's on the hot seat or does Stamford not even care? This is the kind of the point I made yesterday, Ryan. I don't think they care because right. I think the way they look at it is, look, we are not getting in trouble. We're making our money, and he runs a clean program. And he's a guy that, from what I've heard, most people really like. Mm-hmm. I just don't think they care enough to put him on the hot seat. There's going to come a time, however – where if they don't have start having some success, there will come a time he'll get fired right. if he doesn't leave first. I mean, he's going to have to figure out a way to turn this around. And I just don't – he's not going to be able to do that without firing a lot of people that he has so far been really unwilling to fire. He, I don't know why he's – I don't know – like I joke, you know, like I, I, we used to joke about Van Gorder. Like what did Brian Van Gorder have on Brian Kelly mm-hmm. that, you know, he <laughs> – He's like, if you fire me, I'm releasing this to the public, you know, kind of just jokingly. And you often kind of, I often kind of say that jokingly to friends about Lance Anderson. Like, what does Lance Anderson have on David Shaw that has allowed him to can still be there? Because in all seriousness, Ryan, that guy has long been since like d- performed in a way that just at every other school that gives any rip about football would have fired him. Yeah. Uh, it's just recruiting wise, production wise. I mean, they're about to have their fourth year in a row giving up over 29 points a game. 
I don't see how they do better than that. I mean, they're they're and right now they're averaging they're giving up 38 and a half points per game against the against FBS teams because they're giving up over 30 now. And part of that is because they gave up 10 points to Colgate. So I I have no words for it, man. Like it's Brian, it's so weird because I I mean, I still am living in my my imagination where Shane Scove is still playing linebacker for Stanford, man. Like I'm still it's still. When Stanford was, I mean, because, you know, it was my young adulthood at that point, right? Like watching the Stanford defense. And it was just like that defense was incredible for years, for years. Like we talked about the names yesterday, right? The Chase mm-hmm. Thomases, the Trent Murphys, the Shane Scoves, like the AJ Tarpleys, the Blake Martinez. Like they had so many good defensive players. And that's how the offense was built, man. Like they were built off of being better than you up front offensively running the football and being a stingy, stingy, well-coached defense. And they just have not been that defense for a few years. And it is bizarre to watch. I almost wonder if it's like at some point it's more likely that David Shaw steps down, right? Resigns and he's fired. Sure. But yeah, I think that's yeah. true. I yeah, I think he would he would do something with the, you know, I'm gonna go be an, an administrator. Analyst, you know, or yeah. yeah, you know, that's not a bad idea. Yeah. But probably I would think because he's really good on TV. He's, he's really good on the NFL he's draft. Smart guy, and he's man. it's it, you see his personality come through more there mm-hmm. than you do like you know on the sidelines or a post game of a show where he's engaging, he's funny, he's and like you said, he's really smart and he can explain yeah. what I like about him is he can explain things in the draft in a way that is relatable. He's not like a lot of coaches who start like talking over people's heads. Yeah, you know what I mean? And that's a talent. I mean, that that's a talent. And so uh, I, I could see him doing something like that because he'd be really good at that. Like, I mean, if <laughs> NBC, the minute David Shaw retires from football. <laughs> hey, David, there might be a spotted Irish <laughs> breakdown for you, buddy. If you want to come by. <laughs> I can't, can't afford David Shaw. One thing is Notre Dame should come and say, hey, you want to come do uh, Notre Dame games? Be our color guy for Notre Dame. I mean, could you imagine I, David Shaw I, as a color I, analyst doing – Games, he'd be phenomenal at it. I, I dig it, man. Phenomenal it. at it. So yeah. I think it could be something like that. Sure. There's no doubt. All right, next one from Brian Hockney. How much playing time will Kali and Tui Alamaka see now that the loss of Bo Bauer? I don't think the Kali one really is impacted by Bo. At least I hope not. Uh, Tui Alamaka, we'll see. And we discussed at the right. beginning of the show, Brian. I, I don't. I hope that Tui Alamaka it just steps into those snaps. Kali snaps need to be taken away from Marish Lulafau as of right now. Mm-hmm. I think that Tui Alamaka, you know, he's Bo in the last three games is what had six, seven, and nine snaps, not in any particular order, just from lowest to highest. He's only played 22 snaps in the last three games combined. Yeah. Junior's played seven. I would just give Junior most of those snaps because some of them will be like third down where it'll be Jack Kaiser maybe taking it or something like that. Sure. You know, but uh, I would give Junior those snaps for me. And I hope it's not Prince Kali because I hope Prince is taking the snaps at will. Well, I was going to say, I hope that Prince Kali's playing time is improving just based upon what he's been doing the last couple weeks and and fitting into the will equation, not into the Mike equation, right? Like that's where I think that his bumps coming from, Brian. But from a Mike perspective, I hope, I hope, Brian, you're right. You know, I, I hope that. Junior Toy Lamaka just picks up those snaps and kind of runs with a little bit, man. Like he needs to get some burn because it just hasn't been good. So got to try something different to see if something might be good. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's it's insanity at this point. It really is. It really is, man. I want to go to that. We got a recruiting question coming up here next, Ryan, uh, from Bailey 
Brad. What kind of player is Jeremiah McClellan? How would he fit into the Notre Dame offense? Just for some backstory so people understand who we're talking about here, if you're not someone who follows recruiting. Jeremiah McClellan is a 2024 receiver from uh, Christian Brothers High School in St. Louis. He is a teammate of uh, Notre Dame target Jeremiah Love. Uh, mm-hmm. I, Ryan, I'll let you talk about it, but man, I'll tell you what, my opinion of Jeremiah McClellan has jumped up quite a bit as a junior. He's having a really good junior season, not just production wise, but he's a significantly better player this year than he was as a sophomore last year. So what kind of yeah. player is he in your view and how would he fit into the Notre Dame offense? Yeah. He, and he is going to be on campus this weekend. If you're on board, you would have known that because it was on the uh, the visitor list. And I also have a visitor preview that will be coming out pretty soon here. So two McClell- big time receivers from St. Louis are going to be on campus yes. this weekend. As Ryan yes, they will about. be. Yep. yep. And I mean, Brian McClellan, I think stylistically is sort of comparable to Lorenzo styles, right? Like he's got some of that, he's got a similar body type right now. He's about, 6'1", six, one, six, one and a half, 180-something pounds in that ballpark. He's just a really smooth kid, man. Like, he gets in and out of breaks efficiently, good speed overall. He's been creating a lot of big plays, obviously, for Christian Brothers this year. But he's kind of that player, to the question, Bailey Brad, that I would say he's your playing-to-the-field type of player, right? Like, he can play outside. He can play a little bit inside, maybe as kind of that super smooth slot. So I think that Lorenzo Styles comp, they have some similar attributes to where they play. And it's kind of funny, Brian, because like I would have called Cam Williams similar to Lorenzo Styles before this season, but he is just developed from a body type oh. perspective, man. Like the length is out of the out of the gym right now. And he's kind of turning more into he, maybe a boundary to me. He's maybe, starting you know? to look a lot more physically like Kevin Austin. Yes. Yeah. Like that's, that's a good one. As a junior, like because Kevin got ripped up as a senior. Like he's starting to look physically a lot like Kevin Austin. Yeah. He's another guy having a monster junior season. I mean, a yeah. monster junior season. He has been he's really been, good, Cam Williams. He's been, yeah, yeah. And so it, it's funny though, because Cam was the same way for before this. When they when they got Cam Williams to commit, I felt the same way about him. I was like, that's Lorenzo Styles ish, right? Like he's going to work outside to the field. He's going to play in the slot a little bit, do all those types of things. But now that Cam has improved his explosiveness and his, he's just continued to grow into his As body. He's gotten bigger. Yes, as he continues to grow into that frame and get more explosive, now I'm like that kid can play probably all three spots. But yeah. I'm like Cam Williams, you might be my boundary receiver down the line, man. Like yep. that might be you. You know what I mean? So yep. I think that's why the fit makes more sense. Because for a while we're like, you know, is Notre Dame going to push hard for Jeremiah McClellan because it's a crowded receiver board? I think they end up will because I think now you can kind of see it like Cam and him could fit really well together on top of still pursuing guys like Ryan Wingo and Michael Hudson and those guys in the world, right? So I, I really like what McClellan's done this year for Christian Brothers. Agree completely. Jay Henry said, is there anything Notre Dame can take away from the Stanford game to prepare for Syracuse? Handling big receivers. Now, I think that is a – Sure. Like, you're going to – you're if you can figure out a way to play clean against the big receivers on the perimeter against Stanford, it's going to help you against Saronde Gadsden Jr. I, I will say that. That's Outside of that, there's not a lot of similarities. Not the way that Stanford's playing now, but I do think that's an important one because if you can show that you can handle the big receivers effectively, which we don't know because they haven't played guys like this, then I think that's a good sign for being able to keep Aronde Gadsden Jr. from because he's not a, a huge volume guy yet. No, but he's a guy that can go rip off a sixty yarder because he just outplays you for the football down the field, yep. and you have to avoid those type of plays. Anything else, Ryan? That you? I mean, it, it's it's. 
honestly, Jay, right now, man, this is about Notre Dame. Yeah. Like this isn't even this is look, it's not about Syracuse, it's not about UNLV or Stanford. None of these three teams should be within 14 points of Notre Dame if Notre Dame plays their game. Yeah. And and I'm saying 14 because that's the baseline. Like, you know, Syracuse is a good football team. But mm-hmm. I'm sorry, if Syracuse plays their A game and Notre Dame plays their A game, that game should not be at a single digit game. It just shouldn't. I agree. But neither should a Cal, right? Neither should BYU and neither should a Marshall. So they haven't played mm-hmm. their game yet. So to me, the takeaways from the Stanford game are more about how Notre Dame plays more so. And this may have been the point of his question too, uh, Ryan. Yeah. You know, we, we might have taken it incorrectly. It, it, that those are the things, Jay, that I'm taking away from this game that look forward to Syracuse is can you get up? Can you execute? Can you run the ball? You know, can you take start get some shots down the field? Can you handle the bigger? I mean, it's about Notre Dame at this point. And if they can be a, a, a more effective team, a more efficient team, a more a team that's get built more on assignment correctness with some I'm trying to think of the I want them to be assignment correct with force. Mm-hmm. And that's like even when they're assignment correct sometimes on defense and offense, they're doing it with a lot of thought. So they're not playing with the same force. That's what the offensive line's done a better job of. They're more assignment correct and they're starting to play with more force. I want to see more, but that's what's been a reason for their a big reason for their effectiveness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that you hit on a great point, though. The ability to play against bigger boundary receivers, bigger receivers in general, will be a nice little peak i guess to how you defend stanford i mean syracuse a little bit but i mean other than that brian like they are just completely different football teams man like syracuse's athletic quarterback big time run game stanford is not defensively syracuse has a lot of speed on the second level stanford does not so they are very different football teams but to your point if you're able to lead this game where you have potentially limited the michael wilson's elijah higgins of the world that gives you like a, a little bit of confidence that like, Hey, we can go into the next game against Ronda Gatson jr. And have a great game plan against him. Cause obviously he's been their guy at wide receiver so far. Syracuse. Absolutely. Ladarius Martin uh, says, what time's our show tomorrow? We'll go live at one again tomorrow. Ladarius where our first 30 minutes or so will be about Notre Dame. And then we'll dive into the big games of the weekend. So that will be uh, kind of how it goes tomorrow. Real quick, super chat from Tommy Guns. He says, question to follow. Brian, if you let me sleep on your couch tomorrow night, I'll be there at the show with y'all. I wish I – man, you're a truck driver. Don't you have, like, a big, like, bed in the back of your car you can just kind of <laughs> hang out in? I'll let you do like Ryan did. I'll let you have the – you know, I'll let you park your RV in my uh, – you know, your truck in my driveway like Ryan did the RV. But, man, you got a bed back there. It's probably more comfortable than my couch. It's true. Uh, so, no, I, uh, I, I'd have to talk to Ange about that one, Tommy. Sorry, I can't I, – I don't have the – I don't have the authority to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> and every married man in this show is like, yeah, yeah, he's, he's right. Sure. Very good point. Yeah. Here's one from Archer says, B Ryan, will there be an IB Nation online dynasty for NCA 2024? Ooh. If so, who gets dibs on Notre Dame? And if it's not you, who are you taking? I call dibs mm-hmm. on Ohio State. I hadn't even thought about that. I've never be fun. Like, I've never played those things before. It would be fun. I would be afraid Ryan would get no work done and I'd have to have a long talk with him, but, uh, or I may not get any work done and he has to have a long talk with me, but, uh, you know, I don't know who I'd take. I'd probably take Notre Dame. I always, I usually always play with Notre Dame in the past, but I'm, uh, I, I'm so good at NCAA. It does not matter who I don't, take. Don't you play? Aren't, aren't you the one that told me you like to play with Navy? Oh no, I like to play you? with the triple option. Yeah, okay. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. But not necessarily Navy. Okay. No, any team, any team. Doesn't gotcha. matter. Either way though, anybody can come get this work. 
to know what that means. They're so weird. Kids these days. As the kids say. Remington Jeans uh, says, uh, do you feel Al Gold is 100% committed or does he have head coaching in mind? I think you can do both. I think good coaches, especially veteran coaches, know I'm focused on doing the best I can at this job because I know that's then going to set up opportunities for me to do to do my career goals. That's what smart coaches do. That's what good coaches do. I don't think the issues I've had with Al Golden this year, I have never once thought, gee, I don't think this guy's committed. Gee, I don't think this guy's locked in. Gee, I think this guy's looking past his next job. I don't get that sense, Ryan. I, I just think it's, I think it's a philosophical difference of opinion where he wants to do a little bit more complexity than I think he should do. To me, what he's doing now is what they should be doing in year two. Right. Or maybe November as they've gotten more and more comfortable with it. And, and, you know, you were able to get away with it against Ohio state because you had a whole off season to prepare for it. But once you got through that game and you needed to, you haven't needed to be as complex as they've been against Marshall. You haven't needed to be as complex as they were against Cal. You haven't needed to be as complex as they were against, against to a degree, North Carolina. I thought they actually did a decent job of, of not being overly complex against North Carolina because of the tempo. Yeah, and and you were very good that game until you gave us some garbage plays at the end of the game. I mean, to me, that was your best defensive game of the season so far. When you just consider how, I mean, since Ohio State, excuse me, since Ohio State was your best yeah. defensive performance since Ohio State. You know, they got garbage stuff late, but even with those garbage plays late, they still had that held them like it was like a hunt at the time it was like over two hundred yards below their season average at the time, right? That's I mean, crazy. it's just it's nuts, and it's still like one hundred fifty below their season average. So I just I just think it's a philosophical difference. It's not me questioning his commitment, his focus, or anything like that. I don't I don't have I've never heard a thing to make me think or doubt that. And if anything, if he was thinking about his next gig, he'd be doing whatever he can to maximize the team now. He probably you know what I mean. He'd probably hey look I got some guys here. We don't play very good teams for a while. Let me just go out here and let these guys take over, et cetera, et cetera. I think he'd be more focused on those things. As opposed to, because like he's kind of going at it with like a bit of just, I, I, perhaps I'm wrong, but when you do what he's doing, it's a bit, you're taking a bit of a long-term approach. You know, mm-hmm. hey, look, we're going to do this this year and it's and, and, and we're going to take our lumps, but next year when we come back, these kids are going to know all this stuff and we're going to be really good at linebacker. Yeah. And, you know, I don't agree with that, but I, th- I think there's, that's partly why. Because like you can disagree with what a coach does and not personally dislike him or think he's a bad coach. I don't like a lot of things that Tommy Reese is doing. I like Tommy Reese. I, I do. I, I've had good interactions with Tommy Reese. I just don't agree with how he's running the offense right now. doesn't make him a bad coach or a bad person or whatever else. Uh, Al Golden, I don't necessarily – I think he's a really good football coach. I just don't necessarily agree with, the, the, with what he's doing right now philosophically. But mm-hmm. even then, uh, he's still putting a good product on the field. You know, and, and as we discussed yesterday, so, I, I, you know, I, I, I don't think there's anything nefarious behind it. I just think it's just a philosophical difference of opinion, in my yeah. opinion. Beef Eater says, Brian Ryan, what are the odds we see Jabron Payne this weekend? Well, if Ryan and I's predictions come true, our score predictions come true, you will probably see Jabron Payne this weekend. But it's just going to be about putting the team away. I'll be interested to see him too, if if and when we do see him. You know, obviously we've talked a lot about the injuries over the last couple of years, but haven't heard anything negative from that front so far, right, Brian? So hopefully right. he looks healthy and back to his old form, man. I'm I'm excited to see him if he can get on the field. Yep. Patrick Quinlan asks, uh, "Do you think the lack of takeaways is due to something inherent in Al Golden's defense? Just bad luck. Why can't we get more takeaways?" It's sort of on the first one, Ryan. Sort of. 
it's not something inherent in Al Golden's defense system, like system-wise, philosophically. Mm-hmm. It's when you are thinking, you're always going to be a split second later getting to where you need to get to. And that is, a, in my opinion, a lot of what's getting to the lack of disruption, the lack of pass breakups, the lack of tip ball, the, the lack of tip balls, the lack of interceptions, the lack of jumping routes, the lack of those kind of things is really what I think a lot of that boils down to. Yeah. So it's not schematically a problem where like in three years, if we still here, they still aren't turning the ball over at all. It's more of because you're putting so much on them this early, I don't think they're playing as fast as they otherwise would have, which would mm-hmm. lead to more turnovers. Agree or disagree? I, I agree with that. And I would also say that there is there has been spouts of bad luck, right? Like the Clarence mm-hmm. Lewis interception that was negated last game. Brandon Joseph had a forced fumble that BYU was able to get back on top of. There was that, what was it, Clarence Lewis near scoop and score that was almost a forced fumble in the one game as well. So there's been some bad luck. I mean, but to your point, Brian – Getting Did more you comfortable the one in the where system? he picked the guy off and JD had the penalty that took that back? Did you? I forgot about that. Oh, is that Clarence Cal? Lewis, right? Was that yeah, Clarence? Cal, yes. Yeah. Yep. That was the first one I said. Yeah. So okay. all those ones, I mean, like there's been bad luck for sure. But to your point, I agree. As you become more trusting in the system, you're able to move around faster. You're able to read things a little faster. That's where inter- that's where turnovers are usually created. So I still think there's some players that just aren't super comfortable in the role in the defense, but I do think that for this one, Patrick, I would say it's a little bit of everything, right? Like there's definitely been some plays. I just think three or four where there are near turnovers that just did not happen because it's just like one thing did not work. One player did the wrong assignment. A player gets back on the top of the football. Just some bad luck stuff has happened. Yes. Ryan wants that smoke or Archer wants that smoke, Ryan. He wants that smoke. Take CJ Stroud. I got uh, you, buddy. Yeah. John, John A1. This is a really good question, Ryan. John A1 says, is if, if not that we should be surprised, John A1 always asks great questions. But he says, yeah. if Notre Dame is determined to use 12 and 13 personnel, how can the offense be more explosive targeting the number two and number three wide tight ends? Uh, we, we chat, you know, John, this was a little bit of what we chatted about before the BYU game. I think using them more to spread the field, like it, when they were in 13 personnel, they almost always had them condensed. It was either in a bunch alignment or they were like attached kind of thing. I would say, hey, do some things where you split them out a little bit, you know, get them in some isolations. You know, if they're going to go, if the, if, the, if the defense is going to substitute personnel to, to match your 13 personnel, then you've got advantages in the pass game if you're willing to spread them out. You know, so, uh, you know, maybe you you go a situation where you go 13 personnel with, you know, let's say Davis Sherwood's in the game, mm-hmm. you know, you can do some things where you go empty, you know, or you empty out your running back or you know, negate your running back. And you've got your other two tight ends plus receiver plus Chris Tyree or Logan Diggs outside. And David, David Sherwood can stay in a block or you have Audric Estime, you know, one of the other backs in the game and you have three true tight ends in the game. And then Holden Stacey, Eli Raritan and Michael Mayer with the receiver. There's a lot of things you can do with spreading them out, Ryan. I don't know if I would have done that in the first game, with the young yeah. guys, but that's something you can certainly build to with them. Mm-hmm. And I think the other one too is 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 being more effective with how you use your play action game. I think is a part of it. I mean, the screen that you ran, I, use Michael Mayer as a decoy to then throw a screen back to Eli Raider and Holden Stace. I think yeah. those are different aspects of it. It's just stuff like that. And then some of the stuff we saw Jaden Thomas run with the seam routes and stuff like that, let Holden Stace run those as well out of those alignment. I'm not saying don't let Jaden Thomas run them. I like Jaden Thomas in the slot. What I'm saying is when you're in 13 personnel, you can still run those routes effectively with a Holden Stace and Eli Raritan. So 
it's just about building on to them what you know more i mean i i never thought they should put tobias merriweather in there and let him play 60 snaps the first two games that he played i mean it's building to the point where now he could play 30 40 snaps a game Right. Well, these guys are now getting that opportunity where they're slowly working to where hopefully by Syracuse you can use them more in the pass game. Because as you said, John, it is you're going to have to find ways to throw the football effectively. And I thought they tried to do that against BYU. I, I, they did a good job of out of their 12 and 13 personnel trying to throw the football. It just wasn't overly effective. BYU played it pretty well. But just, I think, getting a little bit more creative as they get more experience is the key for me, Ryan. Anything that you yeah. you would like to add to that? Well, no, I was going to say for the play action game, that's like the big one for me. And you mentioned that, but I would say like philosophically, let's just change up how we attack defenses, right? Like instead of, because Notre Dame's a big like, hey, we're going to run sticks, flats, and slide routes a ton, right? Like that's kind of what they do off their play action game with the tight ends. Let's run some more seams. Let's run some corner routes. Let's do, let's do some stuff where, you know, we have some switch stuff with tight ends in the passing game. Like there's, I think there's a lot of ways that you can manipulate defense, but m- m- use it more vertically oriented than what you have been so far. Cause like right now, like, you know, tight end leak for one, right. Seam balls. Like there's ways that I think you can get the tight ends in space more effectively than you have so far. Cause for the most part, like the tight ends have been kind of used outside of Michael Mayer's occasional wheel route, right? They've been used mostly as yeah, after catch players, right? Like, let's hit them off a of play action on a little slide route. Well, instead of off of play action hitting a slide route, why don't we play action and hit them tight end on, on a corner route? Because that corner is going to get sucked up if there's somebody running into the flat out of a multiple tight end set. So I think just structurally changing some of the route concepts you like to run off the play action, I think you can just make more explosive plays just by giving opportunity more than anything. Next question is from Keith Wiegand. Is it just me, or does it seem when Notre Dame does a does break a big play, they never get it in for a touchdown? I don't. I mean, I don't think that they've really had a lot of those type of plays. I mean, every time they've had a big play opportunity, there's always been someone in front of them. Yeah, you know, and and that's and that, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that teams are playing so condensed. You know, it's it's just been hard for the backs to kind of break out. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of it. As you get better at stretching the field and you know there's also been some misses i mean Braden lindsey has a 75 yard touchdown under his belt right now if tyler buckler doesn't miss him in the second quarter against marshall i mean there's been some missed opportunities so i mean your observation is correct keith i agree with that i just think it's 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 uh there's been reasons for it and you got to get better about that and that this is a game where that needs to happen to be honest with you yep folklore says has chancy stucky been an upgrade in the receiver room and do you see the receivers fundamentally getting better as the year goes on yes and yes i mean first of all chancy stucky could still be a bad receivers coach and it's an upgrade i mean Dell alexander was terrible terrible but chancy stucky's not been terrible he's deprogramming a lot of things just like coach Eastand is i think the receivers have played better the last two games they have they've played fundamentally better they just haven't gotten the opportunities Mm-hmm. Now, when the opportunities have come, they've made plays, Ryan. I mean, that's the thing. We saw against North Carolina. We saw that against BYU in both games. They weren't targeted a lot, but when they were targeted, they made plays. Yeah. And, you know, Lorenzo did a great job getting open on his touchdown route. Jaden Thomas did a great job. He didn't get open, but he did a great job of still winning, mm-hmm. you know, on the ball. You know, they both worked open on the seams. There were other opportunities where the receivers could have had more production. The ball just didn't get to them. So, yeah, I think the receivers have definitely gotten better. There's no doubt in my mind. They've okay. definitely gotten better. 
Mark Avalon asked this question, Ryan. He says, is Foskey, this is an interesting question, Ryan. I'm curious to get your opinion on this. Is Foskey lining up too far outside to get to the quarterback trying to run around the uh, trying to trying to run around blocker technique? We're seeing this a lot on third down, Ryan, where Foskey mm-hmm. just lines up really wide and mm-hmm. just kind of takes a wide technique. I, I think for me, like there's a necessity to it to a degree. Because one thing about Isaiah Foskey is he's a speed to power type of dude, right? Like he's not the bendiest edge rusher of all time. So, I mean, for me, Mark, like you need to create an angle for yourself, right? Like softening angles is a skill as a pass rusher. And I don't think that Isaiah Foskey can just turn a corner and corner at a high rate as a pure outside track kid. But if you line him up a little more outside, that kind of gives him an angle where he might be able to win an outside track and still have the speed and power stuff. So I don't think so. No, I think what hurts Isaiah Foskey from a consistent production perspective on a snap-to-snap basis as a pass rusher is I just don't think that he has much of a plan of attack, right? Like he doesn't have secondary moves in his arsenal. I don't think it's an alignment problem with him. I think it's more of a nuanced perspective of how he attacks the passer for me. Next question, Ryan, comes from Archer. He has a CFB question, college football question, and there is a uh, – he says, uh, the Big Ten has five of the top ten teams in total defense at the halfway point of the year. How much of that is really good defense and how much of that is really bad offense? With all due respect, yes. Archer, yes. a lot of that has to do with really bad offense. Yeah. I mean, I think the of- defenses are good in the Big Ten, right? Penn mm-hmm. State's got a decent defense. Uh, you know, you obviously Iowa's got a great defense. It's just their offense is putrid. Illinois yeah. is a really good defense. Ohio State's got a much improved defense. Michigan's got a solid defense. It's not as good as its numbers show because they haven't played any good offenses. There's some bad offensive. And honestly, a lot of it comes down to, like, when I look at the ACC and you're seeing some teams scoring some points and having some success this year and some surprising teams, you've seen the Big 12 where some teams are emerging, it's good quarterback play. You know, Max Dugan stepping up at TCU. You know, uh, Jalen Daniels at Kansas. You're seeing, and you go out to the out to uh, the Pac-12. I know you don't like him, but Bo Nix since since the Georgia game has played really good football. He has. You can't deny it. He's played really good football. You look at Cameron Rising Utah. He's he's a good steady player. You look at Dorian Thompson Robinson. He's finally playing more to his potential and not to the inconsistent guy we've seen for so many years. You're seeing the ACC, Riley Leonard stepping up at Duke. That's been a big part of their resurgence, right? What I see in the Big Ten is outside of C.J. Stroud, it's not a lot of very good quarterback play. And, it, and at times it's just downright bad quarterback play. I mean, if Illinois had a comp, competent quarterback, that's a really good football team. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just bad quarterback play in that conference. Like the kid at Michigan State has just steadily regressed – like every game he's played, Eight, Michigan's not letting yeah. – and J.J. McCarthy, Michigan's not letting – turning him loose, really. They're kind of still treating him like they got Cade McNamara at quarterback, you know. But I think that's a big part of it, Ryan, is just the quarterback play in that conference is bad mm-hmm. outside of the stud at Ohio State. I mean, it, it's bad. And Spencer Petras. Don't forget about him. <sighs> My sarcasm – uh Meters kind of full today, so I'm not going to laugh too much at that one. Uh, but it's the the that that's the biggest thing for me. It's yeah. bad quarterback play, really bad quarterback play. I, I think it's like one of those things. Though to Archer's question, it's it's all it's usually a mixture, right? It's but I agree with you in the fact that like JJ is completing a high percentage of passes for Michigan, but he's not really being put in situations to create a ton of explosive plays, right? Nebraska. 
Casey Thompson has gone downhill since his first game. Riley, Riley, Ryan Holinsky. Against a team that we now know sucks really bad. Yes, yes. Ryan Holinsky looked good against Nebraska, and he is not good, apparently. Right. Spencer Petrus is one of the worst FBS quarterbacks I have ever seen at a big-time program. Like, yeah. just not good, man. Tanner Morgan's been playing pretty good football, but we know that Tanner Morgan's still a little limited. If we're being completely honest, right? right? He's physically so, limited, but he's a yeah. he can run that offense. And and he's look, good in that only, offense. Sure. And the only game they haven't that he hasn't played well so far, in my opinion, mm-hmm. is the game they didn't have their stud at running back. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he didn't play great against Purdue. Well, why? Because there was no running game to think of. Minnesota is a completely different team when Muhammad Ibrahim's in the game. Completely different sure. team. Yep. So how does he bounce back from you know his poor performance against Purdue? But he's a system guy, Ryan. That's your point yep. you're making. He's a system guy. He's not, yep. you know, he's not a guy that's going out there making a ton of plays and doing all that. He's a system guy, and he needs all the weapons around him. But I mean, you know, after that, Ryan. I mean, you look at you look at the the just the the play. I mean, just the numbers. I mean, just Aiden O'Connell. That's another one. Just Aiden O'Connell's a good football player. He's good. Yep. And like to, to, uh, Talia Tagovailoa. I mean, he. He'll look good for two, three series. We're like, okay, he's finally turned a corner. And they'll just make a throw. You're just like, what are you doing? Like, what? Yeah. Why? Why? It just uh, the the quarterback play in that league is. And I always forget about Aiden O'Connell. I don't know why. Aiden O'Connell's solid. Yeah. And, and, then, and uh, what's the 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 bad game they had was against Florida against Florida Atlantic. They were terrible against Florida Atlantic, and that's the game he didn't play. Yep. Yep. So and they barely beat Florida Atlantic. So man, it, it is it is it is bad. It's just bad offense, in my opinion. And, and you can't talk about bad quarterback play in the Big Ten without talking about Rutgers. It's very bad at Rutgers. Oh, right my now. gosh. It's very bad. I mean, you could argue that Spencer Petrus is not the worst quarterback in the Big Ten right now. Yeah, you could. I mean, because, I mean, Rutgers has had a rotating door quarterback, man. Yeah, They've had the Gavin Winslet and the Evan Simon and it's uh, Noah Vigil. Yeah. yeah, it's not great. They all stink. I yep. mean, they really do. They're all pretty terrible. And I mean, their starting quarterback has four touchdowns and six interceptions. Yep, that's uh, that's not good. That's not good. I mean, I guess it could be worse. Spencer Petras has two touchdowns and three interceptions, <laughs> and he hasn't split time with anybody either. It's like oh he's my the gosh. guy, he's the guy. <laughs> I've never seen an offense that bad. I mean, I, I just I've never seen anything like it. They have a 500 record. They are literally have a 500 record, and they're averaging 14.7 points per game. It is the worst offensive line I have ever seen at Iowa in my lifetime. Yeah. Not no exaggeration. The yeah. worst I've ever. They couldn't seen. run the ball last year either. That was yeah. what was weird about their team with the same back that ran the ball really well in 2020. Yeah, it's very strange. Yeah. Very very strange. I, you could argue it's kind of funny. It's a comment somebody just made. You could, I would argue that the two the, the two most talented quarterbacks in the Big Ten play in the same team. Just one of them's a backup right now. Ohio State. Yeah, Kyle saying? McCord. Kyle McCord will start for any other team in the Big Ten, in my opinion. Every single one. Every single one. Maybe Michigan. JJ McCarthy's really talented. His lack of production is more about how they're using him, not his lack of talent. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and to some degree, I, I I get it. Like they're bringing him along slowly. They didn't just throw the offense on his shoulders the way that Notre Dame did with Tyler Buckner his first two starts. You know, they're bringing him all. That's like okay, dude. He's got five starts under his belt. Can we turn him loose a little bit, please? Like let the kid, you know, use his legs. Stop running the Cade McNamara offense with him at quarterback, I, please. I I still hated that whole back and forth between McNamara and and McCarthy before so the season dumb. though, because everyone knew what it was going to end up being. Everyone right. knew it. They just didn't want to do it for some reason. Right. I, 
part of me thinks that it was to take some of the pressure off McCarthy because look, Cade got his shot. Then you came in. And then if he doesn't play well, then, you know, Cade gets a start. And then, you know, if you just throw him out there in that opener and let's say he struggles, mm-hmm. you know, then it's like, Oh, you know, Cade took us to the playoff. You, you know, all the people, you know, how Michigan fans are most yeah. fans are this way. You cry for the uh, one guy to be the quarterback, but as soon as he plays bad, you're the first ones crying about why did he start and why didn't you play the other guy? And, you know, just kind of how it goes. Yep. 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 So, all right. Next question from a bent ND. How has, how has Notre Dame done overall to battle NIL for uh, pay, pay for play this cycle? Do you anticipate the NCAA doing anything to regulate anytime soon? No, I do not expect the NCAA to do anything. They're cowards. They will not do anything because they're afraid of being sued. Uh, and uh, they basically just have been derelict in their duties. Notre Dame is trying to identify kids. Like if kids start talking to Notre Dame about wanting NIL money now, Notre Dame just basically stops. They just stop recruiting them. There are things Notre Dame is doing to help kids connect with certain people to do NIL the right way, but -hmm. it's not going to come from Notre Dame. There are also collectives have stepped up and their collectives are offering, you know, kids are going to start getting five figures now from the collectives, every kid that's part of it. But then the other part of it is still keep selling what makes you unique. Hey, yeah, you can go get your million dollars over four years, but, or you can come here to Notre Dame and if you don't, and, and we'll develop you an NFL player, but if we don't, you're going to go get a million dollars a year because of the degree that you get. And that's still a sales pitch. And if a kid's not smart enough to understand that, or if a family's not smart enough to understand that, the reality is, is they weren't going to come to Notre Dame anyway. Mm -hmm. Because they were still going to take the hundred thousand dollars that would have been offered if there wasn't an IL under the table. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, Tennessee's now, they don't have to hide their money in bag McDonald's bags. Now they can just, you know, give it through NIL through collectives. That's basically how it works. Brent Smith said, I'd like a Jalen Sneed update. Do the two of you have any interesting news on the matter? Well, look at Brent being all demanding of information. Uh, it's funny. I'm kidding, Brent. It's funny that you mentioned this because I literally have gotten two updates on Jalen Sneed in the last 24 hours. Uh, and they both were that like over the last week or two, kind of like going into the buy into now, the light's starting to go on a little bit. He's starting to figure things out, which means he's starting to play faster. He's starting to make more plays because he's an explosive guy. So I think what you would see first is maybe Jalen playing a little bit of special teams first, then maybe working on to your starting your not starting defense, but start into the defensive rotation. But I wouldn't be shocked if we start to see him on some special teams here moving forward, Ryan. I really wouldn't be shocked. John A1 asks, how many Notre Dame offensive players what should opposing defenses should opposing defenses truly be concerned with? Right now it seems like Mayer's the only guy and everyone else is good but won't break you. I will say this, it's two with an asterisk. Mm-hmm. And the two, the asterisk of the two is really three guys into one. <laughs> it's like the running backs kind of form Voltron. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they just they're kind of all those guys as one, right? They the, you have to you have to have a plan for no names running back. Whoever's in the game, that guy can hurt you. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it's mayor. I mean, right now, if I'm a defense, mayor and the running backs are the only guys I'm concerned about. Like I'm not just going to like not cover Lorenzo Styles or Braden Lindsay. I, I mean, I recognize that there's speed, but I'm not. I don't have to do anything different schematically right now to plan for Lorenzo Styles and Braden Lindsay. I don't think that's necessarily all their fault. I think part of that's how they're used, and yeah. that goes back to our keys to the to, to victory that we discussed earlier, Ryan, with Stanford. Is this is a game where you, as the offensive coordinator, to do things game plan wise to get those guys going, so that that's not the case when you're getting ready to go play Syracuse and Stanford. 
Mm-hmm. You know, that's up to you at this point in time. And then, of course, the quarterback's got to get the ball out. But uh, right now, I think John's right. It's Mayer and 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 is obviously the obvious one. But I, I still would throw – I think – and we saw BYU do this. BYU is prepared for the Notre Dame running backs in this game. Mm-hmm. I My only issue was they didn't use them for decoys more. That was my thing is use them to set some stuff up. Yep. But, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, you have to count for the running backs, in my opinion. You do. 100%. 100%. Here's an interesting – this is going to ask me a question. Jonathan Garbrick, uh, Gabrick says, David Shaw is the Pat Fitzgerald of the of the uh, Pac-12. David Shaw is a better coach than Pat Fitzgerald and has had significantly more success than Pat Fitzgerald. Having said that, here's my question for you, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Who, has, who has a chance of being on the hot seat fastest? And who – first of all, between those two, I'll ask that question first, between David Shaw and Pat Fitzgerald. I think it's well. Look, there's a there's an asterisk here because again, if if Stanford doesn't care about having a competitive football team, then that throws a wrench in the whole conversation. I think based upon what it's been the last few years, though, yes, Northwestern's been very up and down, but there have been a couple years where they were a good football team. Like it seems like mm-hmm. every other year or every third year, they come up with this magical ten win season, you know. But then they'll go back down to four and eight or whatever the heck they're doing, right? So. I would say David Shaw deserves to be more on the hot seat right now than Pat Fitzgerald. But again, if Stanford doesn't care, then that doesn't really matter. Right. right? So that's where. Does Northwestern happens. care? That's probably not. You know, probably not as much. I mean, I mean they're they, building that they new care football less stadium. Than Stanford. I mean, that's I, mean, the question, I think right? I think they do not. I think Stanford cares less. Northwestern's gotcha. investing and just spent time raising money. They're going to build that new football stadium, mm-hmm. which is going to have less seating than their current one. But when you know you look at their average attendance, I mean, it's really a smart business move because they don't have huge attendance anyway, right? Yeah. And if you have less attendance, then it's one of those things where the people that do like to come and the and the diehards that you, you do have it creates greater demand, which greater demand equals higher prices, money. which means more money, right? I mean, they've had twenty thousand people, you know, at their games this year. I mean, let's go back and look. When was the last time they were good in a non-COVID year? Twenty eighteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, they hosted Notre Dame. They had forty-seven thousand people at that game. They had forty-seven thousand people at the Wisconsin game. They had forty-seven thousand people in Nebraska and Michigan. A lot of those are those other opponents, Duke. So they were in the forties in some of those games. Well, now you're taking five to twelve thousand fewer seats in those type of games when they are good, and and now all of a sudden the demand for those tickets goes through the roof. Yeah, and when your team's not good, you're still only gonna have twenty five thousand people there. Twenty to twenty three thousand people is what their average attendance been is this year. But guess what? Stadium doesn't look as empty. Sure, right. So it creates a little bit better environment. So it makes sense for a team like Stanford, to be completely honest with you, to to do that. So now here's the question: Who's worse, Stanford or Northwestern? I think it's Northwestern by a mile. I think Stan. I think Stanford would beat Northwestern convincingly. I. Th- Convincingly, oh, I think it'd be a good football. I think it'd be a good football game. Yeah. I don't know who would win that game. I think I they'd really win by ten, ten or more. I do. <sighs> Northwestern's yeah. terrible. They are because here's the thing: too. Stanford, but Stanford's one and four, Ryan. But every yeah. single loss they've had has uh-huh. been to a power, a, a, a quality Power Five team. Like, I mean, can we can we agree to that? Right, their four losses to USC is a top ten team. Oregon's mm-hmm. right outside the top ten team, top ten. Washington's four and two. They just got knocked out of the top 25, but they're still a good football team. And Oregon State's four and two. They've lost to four good football teams. And they were more competitive in those games, in my opinion, than 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 Stanford, than Northwestern was against Wisconsin. The Penn State game was weird. If you I don't know if you watched that game, it was horrible field conditions. Mm. Horrible field conditions. It was raining, it was totally wet. 
Penn State was like, let's just get out of this game. I mean, that's that's what Penn State was doing. But they lost to Ohio, right? No, I'm sorry. They lost to Miami of Ohio. Mm-hmm. They lost to Duke. They lost mm-hmm. they lost to Southern Illinois at home, Miami of Ohio at home, and then they just lost to Wisconsin 42 to 7 the week after Wisconsin fired their head football coach. Hey man, hey man. PFF told me earlier that the second most explosive uh big time throws in the country are by Graham Mertz this year. All right. So you're also really great. You're really like plucking every last nerve that I have today. It, it actually wasn't stat yeah. though. I'm not making yeah. it up. I'm not making PFF, it up. They're a joke. <laughs> PFF also graded Oklahoma's defense out higher against TCU than it graded Notre Dame's defense out against Ohio State. So there's that for uh, how much value I put in what P, uh, Pro Football Focus does with those type of things. So, but yeah, I mean Northwestern's really bad, and I mean you look at their schedule, and I mean who are they going to beat? They get Maryland on the road this week, or they got to buy then Maryland on the road, then Iowa on the road, then Ohio State at home, then at Minnesota, at Purdue, and home against Illinois. I mean, they could conceivably go one and eleven this year. And they'll probably okay. upset somebody, right? Sure. But they're going to be bad, and that would mean that they would have, they would be three and nine or worse in three of their last four seasons. The only exception being the COVID year. They went three and nine in twenty nineteen. They went three and nine last year, and they're going to be lucky to go three and nine this year. Yeah, which is That's a lot like great. what Stanford has done. Stanford's been that bad too, except for the COVID year. They were like four and two in the COVID year. They stunk the year before that. They stunk the year after, and they stink this year. So they've both been pretty bad. I think instead of Notre Dame playing Stanford so often, they should play Northwestern instead. Stanford, that is. Should Stanford play Northwestern. should play Northwestern? Yeah. You remember when Stanford, a good Stanford team, got upset by Northwestern a few years ago? Do you remember that? What year 2019? was it? 2019? Yeah. They they beat them that year. No, I'm sorry. That wasn't the year. It was the year Kevin Hogan was a quarterback. Stanford stunk when they beat him in 2017. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember the year it was. There was a year where Stanford had a pretty good football team. Was it 16 or 15? Might have been the 15. I'm, hold on, give me a second. I'm going to find this one, Ryan. They had a game where they they lost early in the year to Northwestern. Maybe it was the year they went four and eight, and everybody just thought they were going to be good that year. Give me a second. All right. I thought I could have swore. Let me find it. I'm going to look it up this way. Yeah, there was. It was supposed to be a game that that North, that Stanford was going to win, and Stanford came in ranked, and Northwestern beat them. I'm going to find this. I'm going to find. They've only played eight times in history. That surprises me. That is surprising. That surprises me a lot. Yeah, it was 2015. Hmm. It was the 2015 team. Because remember, that team ended up being really good, right? I mean, that team, by the end of the year, that's the team for Stanford that went out and won the Rose Bowl. Was that the McCaffrey? Just, was that, McCaffrey? that was the McCaffrey team that beat Notre uh-huh. Dame at the end of the game. They went out and played Iowa in the Rose Bowl, uh, yeah. smacked Iowa that year. Uh, they lost Northwestern that year in the opener at Northwestern 16-6. to Then the next week Ooh. they went out and blasted UCF. And they beat USC on the road, uh, blew out Oregon State, blew out Oregon, blew out UCLA, blew out Washington, beat Washington State on the road by two, blew out Colorado, lost by two at home to Oregon. Then they beat Cal by 13. Then they had the comeback win over Notre Dame. Then they beat USC in the Pac-12 title game, 41 to 22, and then blew out uh, Iowa at the end of the year. And that Northwestern team was pretty decent that year, too. They went 10 and 3. Mm. Uh, they weren't as good as Stanford, but they they were a decent team. But, yeah, they beat them 16 to 6. I knew – I. Wow. I I knew that that game had happened. I just got it confused with the the nineteen game that was seventeen to seven, but uh, it's almost the same I, score. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But Stanford won that one in nineteen. Yeah. yeah. So I was trying to figure out when it would be. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped. 
The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Uh, Kevin uh, Marzalak says, any word of Stanford it will be scheduled past 2024? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I haven't heard anything one way or the other about that. It's probably a good idea to start looking into it. I personally would like to see that series be over. As an every year series, I mean, play them four times out of every ten years. You know, schedule a couple, schedule a couple home and homes, and then take four years off, home and home. Take four years off, home and home. I'd like to see something like that. I'd mix in UCLA, mix in some other teams. I'd, I'd rather see that. I'm tired of playing Sanford every year, especially if they're the school doesn't care. Like, and honestly, I'd rather play North. If you want to play an academic oriented school, and play Northwestern, save yourself a bunch of money on expenses for travel. I mean, it's mm-hmm. way cheaper to travel to Northwestern than it is. You, literally, it's a bus trip. Notre Dame doesn't have many opportunities to play teams that are bus trips. Save a ton of money. The cost of getting a hotel and feeding your team and all that stuff in California is way higher than it is for Northwestern or Purdue or something like that. If you want to play an academic school, then play Northwestern right now. Because, I mean, they stink too, but at least, you know. And I just – I don't think going to Northern California every other year necessarily is a huge recruiting boost. Now it's it's an alumni boost because there's a lot of Notre Dame alumni out there, but there's got to be sure. more to it. scheduling a game every single year than just that. There just to me there has to be. John the Gabbard says, depending on how the game goes, if Notre Dame is blowing them out, do you keep Pine in to get more reps because he didn't play the first two games, or do you risk it to get Steve in and have him get experience? I think they got to. I think Drew Pine has yeah. played well enough the last two games that I'm not pulling him at like halftime or anything like that. But if if you're up. 41 to 10, you know, 38 to 10 going to the fourth quarter or late, even late third quarter, mm-hmm. I would get, I would get Steve time. The only exception would be is if, is if Drew was struggling and I'd want to kind of have a series where he had a good series to kind of send him out with some momentum, but you got to get Steve some reps. Yeah. And there's I, not, I, I, go ahead, Ryan. Oh, no, I was just going to say more often than not, if, if Notre Dame is blowing this team out, it, it probably tells me that Pine probably had a decent game, at least a good sure. game, most likely, you know, right. so. Right. I mean, yes, but I agree with you. If if he's struggling and they're still somehow blowing them out, I'm okay with keeping it for. Because I'm a, thinking, a like drive. you know, Wisconsin game, but reversed mm-hmm. in the first half, right. something like that. You know, where yeah. he's not really playing that great, but makes sense. Because like you look at the schedule, UNLV should be a game where Angeli gets some playing time. Mm-hmm. Navy and BC are about the only other games you look at and say, based off the matchup now, the only games that I think we even have. I mean. Are you really anticipating blowing out Syracuse that way or Clemson or USC? I don't think so. I mean, right. you're running out of chances of games where you're going to be able to get this kid into the game. So you got to err on the side of we got to get this kid some snaps because you can play him four games. Mm-hmm. I would personally only play him three in the regular season. I would just want to, just in case something happens to Drew in the bowl game, 
you have a chance to – you don't – worst thing you do is you play at Steve Angeli four games in the regular season and the Drew Pine sprains his ankle in the first quarter of the bowl game and then Angeli's got to blow his eligibility in a bowl game. Or you put Ron Paul's to third in the game and just take an L. You know, I mean, that would be the other – I don't mean that disrespectfully, but you're not winning games with that kid at quarterback, in my opinion, unless you're already winning big. Yeah. So uh, I would only play him in three, but even with three, Ryan, you're running out of opportunities to get him into the game. You're going to have limited possessions against Navy most likely, Mm -hmm. right? You know, BC, it's not a given to BC. It's going to be a blowout. We have no idea how BC is going to progress. Some weeks they look good. Some weeks they look terrible. Uh, Do you get the Louisville version of BC or the Florida State version of BC? I don't want to answer that question. So I would definitely, definitely get him. I hope this is a game that you get him and some other players in the game. I really do. Agree. Agree. Jason Rose. Hey, Brian and Ryan, which players on each side of the ball need to play better for Notre Dame to keep this thing rolling? I'm going to give mine real quick, Ryan. (laughs) Drew Pine, Blake Fisher, Lorenzo Styles. I agree with Drew Pine. I agree. I I would throw Z Carell in there because I think Carell's turning the corner a little bit. So I would say Z Carell, and I would also say Lorenzo Styles. Yeah, I would agree. And and when I say play better, it's not that Drew Pine's playing bad. It's just Mm -hmm. there's another level he can get to as he gets more experience. I want to see him get to. Yeah, that's that's you know don't miss some of the throws we've said. Hey, he didn't see that read. You need to hit those against Clemson and USC, Mm -hmm. right? So you know, and then Carell and Fisher, and then yeah, that's a good one. Z Carell, that's a good one, Ryan. Defensively, Foskey. Yep. Whoever your will linebacker is, Brandon mm-hmm. Joseph and Cam Hart. Okay. Yeah. I, I agree with the, with the secondary members. I also agree with Foskey. I was just going to say Maris Loifel, but I can yeah. turn that into the will linebacker position because yeah. if it's Prince, it's Prince. It really doesn't matter yeah. to me. Right. And then I would say Jason Adamolola continue to get better and see more yeah. of consistently what he can be. Yeah, that's a good one. I think you could also make a case for Riley Mills. He's been good so far this year. I'd like to see him kind of become even a little bit more of a productive playmaker he's been he's been quietly steady this year i think i am i it ain't rocket science but telho has been rocked to sleep these last few seasons they, they kept him on the pine forever when he's been a ferocious competitor the kid just needs experience in my opinion i i disagree with that uh john a1 said to patelho loses confidence what's going on uh with him look the thing about you all have to understand about Jordan Patelho is, is he's a very undisciplined football player. And I just don't think he's a natural football player. He is an explosive athlete. Mm-hmm. He can be a weapon. He can be dangerous. The problem is Ryan, he just doesn't show much feel for the game or he hasn't so far. Yeah. And you know, they, they played him a lot. Was, was it against Marshall? They played yes. a lot. And he, he missed that one tackle. Run. Yeah. He was bad. So, you know, he just he just was running into blockers. So I don't know what the I don't know if it's they're asking if he's having the same issue with the other linebackers, if moving them all over the place kind of has gotten in his head. I don't know what the reason is, but he has not played well in the in the times we've seen him. He really hasn't. So I don't I mean, who are you gonna take off the field? He right. they've played a lot of teams that spread spread the field and throw to football. So Rover's not a good fit. Mm-hmm. Is he going to handle the mental acumen of what they're requiring the linebackers to do? Nope. Are you going to take Isaiah Foskey off the field or Justin uh, Adamiel off the field? That's the question. That's what I was going to say is I think that for his sake, he's probably a Viper, right? And if he's a Viper, then you're going to be taking a good football player off the field. Two to put him on. good football yes. players off the field. Yes, very fair. Because yep. when Isaiah's not in the field, I want Justin Adamiel to be there, not Isaiah Foskey. Yep. So. Yes, let's get down here. Brent Smith, do you trust Jaden Mickey playing man in the slot? Right now, no, but eventually I will. Right. I mean, 
when Jaden learns to be more patient, he's going to be a really good football player. Mm-hmm. He is. Because he's had some good snaps this year, Ryan. It's just the ones that are bad are really bad. And yes. they're usually because he bites. He bites on the double move, which is what we talked about. This was the danger this offseason, right? But do I trust him today? No. Would I keep kind of throwing him out there in hopes of the light going on over the next couple games and hopefully he gets rolling by Clemson? Yeah, I would. Because you can live with the mistakes against the teams you're playing now. Because if the light goes on, you got yourself a heck of a football player. You do. Wait, so Brian, you're allowed to play a freshman that you don't fully trust but has yes. potential? Yes, oh, you okay. can. Yes, you got can. It. Yes, yeah. you can. You're allowed to do that. You're allowed to play freshman. Imagine that. Jason Ro- skill players, freshman skill players. Jason Rose says, Brian, do you feel the constant defensive coordinator turnover is part of the inconsistencies because they're always learning new schemes? I don't think you can dismiss that as a factor. I don't know if I'd say it's the driving factor, but it's a factor. Mm-hmm. It's certainly a factor. I, I'd, I'd be foolish to not say it's a factor, Jason. Absolutely, it's a factor. Um, is it in the top five of reasons? Probably. Yeah. Is it number one? I don't think so. Well, we just talked about the inconsistencies at points because players aren't fully trusting in what their responsibilities are, right? What their role is in the defense. And I think when you have constant turnover, that it's hard to get comfortable, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think that you're on to something there, Jason, to agree with Ryan here that, you know, it's there is something to that, I think, right? It's If Al Golden is back next year as a defensive coordinator, I'm interested to see how much growth a lot of these players have dealing with him for a second straight off season for a second season. I think that's where growth happens in those situations. So I do think there's something to it. I agree. Bass and Domer, Bass and Domer. How many safety blitzes will golden call in this game? I hope the answer is zero. Yeah. Um, they're just, they're just not good at it. Yeah. Man. Like, just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, a, I'm China Phillips. I, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. See you. Shane. Shane. Okay. Shane yeah. Phillips. Uh, USC versus UCLA predictions from Brian and Ryan. You're going to have to wait till tomorrow. I pulled this up because I wanted to remind people that this will be one of the games that we discuss tomorrow. All of our score predictions and analysis of this game will be next week. So uh, it's going to be a very fascinating game. Ryan and I were having to talk about that. No, a buddy, my friend Jason and I were talking about that. He was talking about how he's definitely taking Utah because of the way that the line is. I guess a lot of money's mm-hmm. going to USC and they still haven't moved the line. Crazy. So, because the I guess the guys that have the biggest impact or whatever are still betting Utah. So, who knows? Danny Garcia said, "Do you guys think that Tommy Reese is still the issue? Even though some weeks the offense looks horrible and some weeks they look like a top ten team. I don't know if I'd say the offense is yet to look like a top ten team. Even yeah. against North Carolina, a top ten team doesn't not get the fourth and one, doesn't fumble the ball into the end zone at the end. They put over sixty on North Carolina's defense, in my opinion." They've looked like a top 20 offense the last couple weeks for the most part, but not a top 10 one. Do I think he's still the issue? He's part of it. Yeah, I mean, he's the offensive coordinator. Yeah, he's he's definitely part of it. I I don't like putting fingers at one person, man. Like, I I talk about this all the time, Brian, right? Everyone needs to be accountable for the inconsistencies that's been, right? It's quarterback play at times, especially early on in the season, right? There's been offensive line issues, especially early on in the season, there's been play calling issues. There's been a lot of different issues. It, Tommy Reese is a part of the problem for sure. He's not the problem, right? Like it's not a singular entity that is. Well, blame, let, so. let me ask you that that's hundred percent right. It's never yeah. one person. Do you think yeah. he is the number one the problem? Main one? I think, I, I, think yes. the, 
I, I think the main one early in the season was offensive line play, if I'm being completely honest. I think that that did limit the offense a little bit. But, but I don't as, think as, a, as an entirety, agree. I would say play call. I think that's yeah. a very good point. I will say this, however, I don't think he did what he needed to do to protect against that. And that was one of the issues we had. The play calling and game plans weren't designed because they thought going into the year the offensive line was going to be good. It was a strength in the fall. And I don't think they did a good enough job of preparing for that once you're not playing your own team, Mm -hmm. that there may be some issues. Sure. So, uh, you know, again, it goes back to him. But that's also partly because of him because I feel like he could and should have done more to sort of speak up with Brian Kelly about the fact that the guys that were there weren't doing the job. I mean, that's part of your job, too. In his defense, the last guy that did that got fired. Sure. The last guy that went to Brian Kelly and said, you need to do better, you need to, we need to get a better offensive line coach, got fired. So somewhat in Tommy Reese's defense, I mean, as a 29-year-old, 28-year-old, you're going to have the stones to walk into your head coach's office and say, hey, I know you fired Chip for saying this two years ago, but uh, this guy ain't getting the job done. Right. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. The difference is, is when Chip dealt with that chip just took over stuff and said, well, I'm going to do this anyway. And he recognized that this is a problem and he coached around it. Right. So, uh, and I don't think coach, but coach Reese doesn't have the experience that chip had either as a coach. Right. I mean, he's seven, six or seven years behind chip and experience as a coach. Mm-hmm. And he's had a lot more different types of experiences than Tommy had too. So he was better prepared to do, he was better prepared to say, I'm going to take over the receivers or I'm going to coach the GA up to help out or, or whatever the case may be where that's a, that's asking a lot of a 27, 28 year old. And that's part of the reason why at the time I didn't like the hire. uh, Although I thought it would pay off, but he did, you know, and I think if, if Tommy restays for a while and, and the current staff stays together, if this current offensive staff stays together for three years by year three, this will be a special offense in my opinion. Because he'll gain a lot of experience. And I, I look, there's not an assistant coach on the staff that I don't think has a chance to be a really good assistant coach or hasn't already shown himself to have the potential to be that. It's uh it's just can you can you keep them all? Can you keep them all here? I think is a, yep. a, a question. Robert Bishop's gonna disagree with you, Ryan. He says, I'm surprised he uh he said that uh he, the worst quarterback in, in college football is the backup quarterback for Oklahoma. But that's a backup quarterback, it's a different argument. Right. But Robert also then said, I'm surprised Oklahoma hasn't tried to give Nick Evers a shot with Gabriel being out. I agree with you. Mm -hmm. However, I can understand why you wouldn't want to start a true freshman for the first time against Texas in that environment. I'm sorry. That's like – like it's what I criticized Georgia for last year with Anthony Richardson. Like Mm -hmm. really the first start you're going to give him is in in the the cocktail party in Jacksonville against (laughs) the best defense in college football. That sounds like a good idea to you. Like, I don't know if I'd have put Nick Evers in that situation. Now, would I have played him earlier than they did? Yeah. Like, once it was 35 nothing, he's coming in the game. Like, you know, there's no pressure on him anymore. So I didn't understand that part. That part I didn't understand at all. But uh, I like Nick Evers. I don't know if you had a chance to see him coming out of high school. He's a kid from Texas. He's yeah. a really good football player, Ryan. You should check him out. He's I, I like him. He's a good football player. If he entered the portal and no, and he wanted to transfer, I would I tell Notre Dame look at. It. They actually tried to get on him late last year, mm-hmm. and uh, and he wasn't interested. So, gotcha. all right, uh, let's see here, Brent Smith, your thoughts on Peyton Bowen starting as a freshman? No reason to think that he can't. I mean, it's going to have an opportunity. I would say, right? I mean, when you look at it, you're graduating DJ Brown, you're graduating. Houston Griffith, there's going to be opportunities. Who knows if Brand Joseph's going to be back for another season? If even if he is, 
I still think that Peyton Bowen is so talented that he can come in and compete for the second safety spot with Ramon Henderson and the Justin Walters of the world and Xavier Watts is of the world. Like I think that he's that talented. I mean, he got bumped up to what the number 14 player in the country by ESPN yesterday, Brian. And it's mm-hmm. like, that's fully deserving, man. All he's, three has him at 15. Yeah. Yep. Special player. Special Brian, player. what we said about him was we had him as a top 50 guy mm-hmm. after his junior film. But what we said was if he can clean up just a couple things, Stop he'll be a five guy. star. Yeah. And he's done that. He's done that. And he's a legit top 25 guy right now. Uh, I hope he doesn't start next year. And the reason I say that is, is in a perfect world scenario, he's the number three safety. Mm-hmm. And Brandon Joseph is back. And Ramon Henderson steps up and emerges. Or yep. Xavier Watt steps up and emerges. Or Clarence Lewis moves to safety. And Peyton mm-hmm. can kind of come along gradually. But as the number three safety, he'd play a lot. I mean, Notre Dame's rotated. Like Kyle Hamilton did right. as a freshman. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then maybe by middle of the season, he takes over. Because mm-hmm. I could see that where Peyton starts off in the rotation, playing 30 snaps a game in a rotation. And and then the other thing I would do is there are some teams on the schedule next year where I would want him in playing nickel just because of his speed and size. You know, like there's some matchups next year like that I'd say yeah, when you go to Clemson, I could see that where you want him in the slot, you know, where they're kind of where you want a bigger, faster body in the slot than maybe some other positions. But I could also see a scenario where where he starts off as the number three guy. He's getting 30 or so snaps a game. But as the season wears on, he steps in the starting lineup because with all due respect to whoever is playing safety opposite of Brandon Joseph, they're not Alohia Gilman or Jalen Elliott. I mean, that's that's the reason Kyle Hamilton started as a freshman because you had two really good veteran safeties ahead of him. You won't have that next year with Peyton Bowen. Now, if if Brandon Joseph leaves after this year, which I hope he doesn't, and he shouldn't after what we've seen so far of him this year, he's been okay, but not not a guy that should leave, then I would say then definitely he starts sooner rather than later because he'll be the most talented kid in the room. You know, he'll always be the most talented kid in the room, but you won't have the veteran like uh, Brandon Joseph to kind of take one of those spots away, in my opinion. We are not Marshall. Brian and Ryan is the field scan here to stay, or will Reese abandon it as Pine gets more experience? I think it'll be here to stay. I hope I'm wrong, because I, I think that's more about Tommy Reese wanting to get the perfect play in all the time, more so than you know, feeling the need to do that with Drew Pine. And as yeah. long as it works to the to a, a level of degree that he's willing to accept of what he thinks is good enough football, then it'll stay. And I hope, uh, I hope not. Yeah, <laughs> I hope not. I don't you love don't. you love the field scan. Yeah. No, not even a little bit. Not <laughs> even a little bit. Next next comment, Archer. Arch, I'm sorry, man. I feel really bad about this. Uh Archer says, Brian, Facebook just put a new busy bone music video on my feed, and I blame you for putting that in my algorithm. Thank algorithm. Thanks for that. Uh that's it's my bad. Busy bone. I don't he was know part of Bone is. Thugs and Harmony, which I bought oh, okay. up, I brought up last week. Uh, and so now, you know. He's saying that that's my fault for getting that back on him. I'm I'm really sorry about that, man. I really am. I mean, that's a song. That's a group that sang a song literally about cashing their welfare checks. Oh, nice. hear the song first of the month. Um, they had a couple songs that were really hard that I liked, and then they just uh-huh. have some stuff that was just like, oh my, this is terrible. Like the first of the month song, it was funny. The stuff that was commercial, the stuff that was popular, uh, I didn't like. But some of the stuff that they had that wasn't really as popular was stuff that I thought was much better, much better. 
see if you have any more questions down here. It's turned into a rap uh, conversation <laughs> uh, that I'm just kind of too tired to get into today. Uh, Archer, this is, I got into hip hop late '90s, early 2000s. So it was M, Jay Z, Outkast, Kanye. So you got in later, much later than I did. I got in kind of late '80s, early '90s. You know, it's like I got in with like Eric B and Rakim. You know what I mean? Like, like Wu Tang was like I was into rap even before Wu Tang released their first album, which I think it was like '93, '94, something like that. So, um, you know, I was listening to Tupac before he went out to California. So, uh, but of that group that you like, I think the the only one that I'm real Eminem's good. I, I, I like Eminem. I never was like an Eminem fan. I respect his I respect his talent, but some of his music is just too corny for me, to be honest with you. <laughs> Some of stuff's really good. Jay Z's earlier albums I liked. Uh, I've never been a big Kanye West fan as a rapper; just not my flavor. Outkast though is one of the few Southern rappers that I really liked. Like, well, rap groups. Like, I not, was never like into Ludacris. I did not like Master P and that whole clique that he had. I, that was definitely not my kind of music. Which is funny. I never heard of Master P and that whole. I forget what it was called. Uh, no limit soldiers. I never heard of them until I went to college and there was a bunch of kids from Florida on my football team as a freshman. And that's all they would listen to is master P and like Lil Wayne and all those guys. I was like, okay, hard pass. Um, I'm going to listen to people I can understand. So I'm going to pass on that action. <laughs> I can understand. But yeah, <laughs> it's like, it's like <laughs> it's funny. That's funny. But anyway, so that was more, that was more mine. Um, I never, I was never into NWA because I honestly didn't get, I didn't get into, I didn't really like a lot of West Coast rap early. I kind of liked Dre and Snoop when they came along. It got better. Obviously, when Tupac went out there, I liked that, but I, I wasn't into, I wasn't a big NWA fan. I've never been a big Ice Cube fan. He's got a couple songs, like No Vaseline is a is one of the greatest, like just, I mean, it's probably the second best ever, um, just battle video or like you know bars are put together i still think ether is the best like just takedown ever that that nas did on jay-z it's still the best ever i think no vaseline might be second though that was pretty uh that was his going at nwa rap which was pretty harsh <laughs> let's just say that it was uh it was harsh Ryan's going to go see Blink-182 here soon, so Ryan has no clue what we're talking about. So uh, yeah. we are definitely uh, definitely on the same page there. Uh, Karis one did a feature with my favorite Christian rappers, T-Bone. T-Bone's really good. Uh, there's another, I'm trying to remember his name, but there's another really good Christian rapper. But Karis one he, he had some really good stuff back in the day. Really good stuff. So let's see if we got any more actual football questions. <laughs> and uh, let me see here. I'm going to try to find it. I don't see any more football questions that I – can see here uh somebody said beastie boys i was never a beastie boys fan. It's like beastie boys had some stuff that you'd like play at like a like a party you know but like i was never a, a beastie boys guy digital underground uh, it's okay um i mean who doesn't know humpty hump though right so yeah a lot of stuff here and then of course beef eater had to ruin it all <laughs> nickelback <laughs> So just totally ruined all the whole thing, man. Totally ruined the whole thing. So anyway, so that's going to do it for today's show, everybody. I appreciate y'all very, very much. Thank you for joining us on today's show. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. Share this podcast. Don't forget, Saturday, three between 3 and 3.30, you're going to want to be over by the Dome. You're going to want to find us. You're going to want to find ours breakdown. You'll see me. You'll see the flag. You'll see our table set up. Uh, you're definitely going to be there. Definitely going to be there for our live show. I'm, I promise you, not only is it our first one, but it's going to be a it's going to be good. It's going to be good. So 
Uh, really want you all to be there for that. It's going to be it's going to be worth it, I promise. So make sure that you are there for that this weekend. So for Ryan and Brian, have a great rest of your day. Six o'clock tonight, Sean or Sean will be back. IB Nation Sports Talk. Ryan will be back to one o'clock tomorrow for some predictions. Uh, talk to you guys very soon on the Irish Breakdown Podcast. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.